0: Ever thought about sitting on a driver's seat of a car you're not driving? Sounds futuristic, and although the race to develop autonomous cars has been slower than we expected, we might still have some time to pick up pace. Here, Mr. Andrew Morris, a specialist in human factors and transport safety, will discuss autonomous cars, what country will be the first to implement them, and explain the main reason why these cars aren't widespread yet. Mr. Morris, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, first of all, what are the benefits of adapting to self-driving cars?
1: Well, likely to be several benefits or predicted benefits, one of which is safety. So if autonomous cars can see faster and react faster than humans, then the expectation is that they will be safer because they will be able to respond to emergency situations much quicker than, say, an ordinary driver would be able to. There are um, advantages from mobility, so many people get to a certain age where they decide that they don't want to drive anymore because they feel unsafe on the roads. So if you have an autonomous vehicle that can take away the responsibility of driving from you uh, and you're an older person and you want to stay mobile, um, then that gives you the opportunity to be able to get around the place and therefore be socially inclusive. So there are are several advantages, probably more than I've just touched upon, from many different facets of life.
0: So you mentioned that an autonomous car is safer. So then it's not more likely to cause an accident.
1: Well, the data is a little bit sketchy in this area, but Waymo in particular have done lots of work where they've had their vehicles traveling around in cities in the USA, uh, particularly San Francisco, I think, where they have recorded many hundreds of thousands of miles with very, very few accidents. And when the accidents have tended to occur, they are usually the responsibility of the other drivers who don't appreciate that the Waymo car is sticking fairly rigidly by the road rules. So what tends to happen is the Waymo car will come to traffic lights, for example. The traffic lights will change to amber. The Waymo car will slow down. Now, as a human driver, you might... Decide that you could get through the lights before the amber phase has changed to red. So you might speed up and go through the lights, and that's perfectly normal to do that. People do that every day. But the Waymo car wouldn't do that. And if you're expecting that car to also go through the lights, then there's a chance you might collide with the rear of it. And I think this is what Waymo found, that lots of uh, the crashes that involved Waymo vehicles were these sort of catch-up crashes at intersections where the human driver wasn't really expecting the autonomous vehicle to break in the way that it was doing, simply because he was obeying the road rules.
0: And what about the legal obstacles? So the Law Commission for England and Wales and the Scottish Law Commission proposed the creation of an automated vehicles act, which would incent the person in the driving seat from legal consequences. Who then would be responsible in the case of an accident?
1: Yeah, I think this is another grey area that's still being very much debated, particularly, as you say, with the Law Commission being so active in the UK and trying to work through these issues, and ethical issues for that matter, which still haven't necessarily been ironed out. One of the big things is who is responsible for the crash in the event that the autonomous vehicle is unfortunately involved in um, some sort of event. Recent reports suggested that actually the driver has no responsibility, so it's all the responsibility of the vehicle and that seems a little bit harsh especially if the driver for example has done something untoward so maybe they're, they're drunk or they fell asleep or they did something in the autonomous vehicle that maybe they shouldn't have done the vehicle crashes uh, and yet the, the the fault is then pinned upon the vehicle technology rather than the driver so this is one of the big grey areas that needs to be sort of decided upon i think before we can uh, proceed who is responsible in the event that the vehicle crashes or that something goes wrong. And I think we're a long way from deciding that just yet.
0: And are self-driving cars an alternative to clean energy?
1: Well, self-driving cars are electric. So uh, it's the same argument as saying, are electric cars good for clean energy? Overall, you would say, yes, they are, because there are no emissions from electric cars. But the problem is, of course, the power has to come from somewhere. So it probably has to come from power stations, So it goes back to the argument of saying, well, electric cars are not quite as green as we might like to think, because at the end of the day, the power has to come from a a power station or some sort of generation centre, which by itself could be pumping out emissions into the atmosphere. But overall, I think if we've got a whole fleet of autonomous cars, which are essentially electric cars, then I think, obviously, the, the emissions from those vehicles very minimal compared to what we have now with conventional powertrains etc
0: and what about infrastructure requirements you mentioned that there will be power stations so streets will be required to adapt
1: so i think there's got to be a different way of of charging the vehicles. so having more charge points for maybe making batteries more efficient i know battery technology is improving all the time and maybe we'll reach the point where the the range becomes much more, much greater than what we have at the moment. So from a charging point of view, yes, I think the infrastructure has got to change. But the other thing about autonomous cars is that they will need to communicate with their environment and they'll need, need to communicate with other vehicles. So there needs to be a change in how the infrastructure is able to do that. So how it recognizes. Um, that a car is in its vicinity so what sort of technology do you implement onto the roads how do you change the the road layouts so that the vehicles can maneuver without any confusion what do they do about things like roadworks which maybe uh, are not in their their algorithms Uh, what do they do about lane markings which might deteriorate over time and maybe disappear or become obscured when the weather conditions are not ideal so the infrastructure issues are, are very real as well and They are being worked through, I think, Uh, and gradually we're getting to a point where more and more reliability is evident. But there's still things to think about before we can be fully confident that we can unleash these vehicles without any problems as far as the infrastructure is concerned.
0: And why is this race for self-driving cars taking so long? Like, is it closer than what we thought it would be?
1: Well, I think the technology is there already so we could probably implement a fleet of autonomous cars if we had to but there's there's too many questions that we remain unanswered and safety is one of them for sure we still don't know with complete confidence that these things are are safe that they won't be abused by people we don't know um, much about the types of journeys that people will make and whether how they're going to sort of use them We've talked about the range of the vehicles and the the battery power. We've talked about whether will people be able to afford these vehicles. They're likely to be quite expensive. If you buy a Tesla now, you're looking already at thirty to forty thousand pounds. I think a fully autonomous vehicle is going to be very expensive in the near future. And it's not for several years until the technology becomes more and more available that the prices will start to come down. So another factor is cost. And then you've got a mixture of fleets. So if you've got a mixture of uh, autonomous vehicles and non-autonomous vehicles sharing the same space, How do they interact with one another? How do they recognise what each other is going to do? There's a lot of unpredictability with human drivers and autonomous vehicles, and they've got to understand how they can coexist on the road. Not only that, but I think we've not really nailed down how autonomous vehicles are going to interact with road users who are a little bit more unpredictable, so pedestrians and cyclists and motorcyclists. I think the autonomous vehicle algorithms are very much in tune with what other Passenger vehicles will do, but not necessarily with cyclists and motorcyclists and pedestrians. So if you have these unpredictable road users using the roads as well or sharing the roads with the autonomous vehicles, then you could see how the vulnerable road users could be disadvantaged. And that could cause all sorts of problems from a safety point of view. So lots of unanswered questions, more besides that I probably haven't mentioned there, but I think it's going to be a while Uh, before we can be confident that these things are reliable and safe and and ready for widespread implementation.
0: And which country do you think would be the pioneer when it comes to having and adapting to self-driving cars?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. And There are some countries which are are quite well-advanced in in this. I think the Netherlands has got a very good self-driving car activity going on, so they could be one of the first. I know Norway has got a very large fleet of electric vehicles, um, so they also are in the running to um, have widespread implementation. Uh, And then if you look to the Far East in, in Japan and Korea, they've also got very, very large programs of autonomous vehicle testing. My feeling or my suggestion is that where you've got the least crowded roads, so the countries which have maybe smaller populations and fewer numbers of vehicles, but you've got more space with which to... To run the vehicles, then those are the sorts of countries that are going to be the first to have these vehicles running around on the roads. So maybe, for example, Norway, some of the Scandinavian countries, where you've got uh, huge amounts of land uh, and smaller populations and small numbers of vehicles.
0: And how does the semiconductors shortage affect the development of self-driving cars? You mentioned about a high cost. Will we need like government initiatives in order to provide people to adapt to this new technology
1: yeah well, I hope it won 't be divisive at all and i don 't think anybody would want that, but I mean there there has been some discussion and uh, i 'm not saying I necessarily agree or disagree with this that people won 't actually own their car in the future, and that with autonomous vehicles, what we will do is just summon an autonomous car whenever we need it. if you think of your own personal car at the moment i know my car sits on the drive for probably 98 percent of the time and maybe i use it for two percent of the time so it's standing there idle depreciating the whole time if you've got an autonomous vehicle which is capable of being driven around reliably for 24 hours a day why don't you just summon the car whenever you need it and when you finish with it and it moves on to the next person. And I guess it's a bit like the e-scooter rental agreements that we have at the moment. That's probably a model for what might come. So whenever you need an electric car or um, an autonomous car, you simply go and pick one up from the nearest sort of autonomous car docking station, uh, and uh, and away you go. And I can't see why that couldn't become a reality. I know they do it already with things like smart cars in some cities. So from that point of view, hopefully the, the availability for autonomous cars will be for all, and uh, not just a few.
0: Mr. Morris, I have one last question. Did the COVID-19 pandemic affect the development of self-driving vehicles?
1: Good question. I think there was lots going on behind the scenes with regard to some of the testing work on autonomous vehicles. So although most of the people involved in development and testing would have have to take their own precautions as far as COVID is concerned, I think there was still quite a good rate of progress with regard to looking at the efficacy of these systems and looking at safety and reliability issues. So I don't think things slowed down too much as a result of COVID, not as much as maybe it did in, in other areas. So uh, I think um, things are still moving quite quickly in that field.
0: So Morris, thank you so much. There are many more questions I could ask, <laughs> but our time is almost done. So thank you so much for agreeing to participate.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. It's, um, it was thanks for being invited.
0: This is Marina Gimari from Weekly